Hi everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flops Podcast. I'm Angelique Gay, a mother and a writer who recently went through a major life transition. Each week, I invite other creatives and change makers on to talk about their own transitions, a time in their life when they felt completely untethered and lost, which as it turns out is completely normal and can even be life affirming. Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to transformational coach, wellness warrior, motivator, Opportunity Knox podcast host, Michelle V. Wolf. This LA-based mother of three builds communities like no one else. Michelle has been through major transitions in her own life. She articulates so much of what I've been feeling and explains why women can lose themselves. It's fascinating. Her tools on how to find your way back home are absolutely priceless. Enjoy. My first coaching practice was actually called Targeted Transitions. And I specifically named it that. I remember like my logo was like two T's. The reason why was when I left the corporate world and I started my transition into personal development and growth and coaching and and leadership training, I had to do a presentation at USC's business school on transitions, where actually I had to pick what it was about. And I chose to pick it on how to create an effective transition. And I remember because that book's not a new book, it's older. It's, I, it's really old, but exactly. it's remarkably I, still effective. very effective. Yeah, yeah, it's very effective. I remember looking at it, but I can't believe it actually has there hasn't been somebody else that specifically addresses transition. So for me, in my podcast, calling it opportunity knocks, it's really a relevancy around transitions and around taking opportunities, which there is a, a correlation uh, related to transitions and opportunities, right? So, so that yeah, I was, think if you can turn what you're feeling into looking at it like an opportunity, then you switch around your negative mindset. Yeah, it's all about mindset in general. Every action that we take is mindset, yeah. right? So, yeah, it's funny. So the other thing is about transition specifically is a book that you may really enjoy and your audience may enjoy that is around decadal or decade transitions. Is called passive. And it's by yeah, it's a woman named Gail Sheehy, who she has now passed. However, and she wrote it in the 70s, I believe, like her first iteration was in the 70s. And then she wrote a subsequent iteration in the 90s, I believe, like early 90s. And really, it's about the different stages in life. And I remember that when I became a coach, I got the book because I wanted to understand why people make transitions. It's very interesting even to note that in, so for example, I'm in my fifties, right? Mm -hmm. So women in their fifties are actually, men are slowing down and women have a second coming. That's their next opportunity to reinvent themselves and actually choose something next that they're going to do. So it's very interesting to read that book and get educated basically on where each individual might be during those different stages of our lives. I love that. I have to say, I love it. And the book does not get acclaimed enough. Well, it's interesting because the thing with transitions is that the original book is that it does feel male centric. And it so it didn't feel like a complete book for me. I I highly recommend it. (laughs) Thank you. Of course, of course. So tell us about I just want everyone to know your story, which is that you were working, as you said, in marketing in the corporate world, and then you switched over to what you're doing now. And I love the story that you really hit a health crisis because you were ignoring everything that you were going through or mm-hmm. ignoring how hard you were working and the effect that it was having on you. So can you kind of share that story and how you transitioned into what you're doing now and how you knew what to do next? What were sure. the steps that you took? Absolutely. So my background is actually in corporate marketing and brand marketing. I started in entertainment. I moved from entertainment into advertising and from advertising into packaged goods and specifically worked at Mattel Toys for about five years. Mattel is a very hard work environment. And by the way, in most corporate marketing environments are a very fast-paced dynamic work environments. And I thrive in those work environments. 
However, to your point, I hit a certain point for two reasons in my life. One is that I was in my mid-30s and I was married at that point. And I had to make a choice of, it was it time to have children? And in my generation, women were not educated necessarily from their parents or their mothers around that there was a time limit as to when your eggs expired, so to speak, right? And so I could have very easily, like, I love children. I always knew I wanted to be a mother. In fact, I always knew I wanted to have three children, not necessarily three girls, but I specifically knew I wanted to be a mother. But in the environments I worked in, I first of all did international marketing for a while and domestic marketing. So I have a very global perspective. And I come from a bicultural family of a German mother who grew up under communism and a father that is Mexican. He's still alive. My mother has passed since passed. But what I would say to you is that I had to make a conscious choice as to how I wanted to live my life. And this goes into how I believe around value sets and how our core values guide our choices and guide our fulfillment and ultimately our happiness, right? And so in doing so with my background, I basically got to a point in my career where it was like, do you want to have children or do you not want to have children? (laughs) And not because of my age, but more so because of the work environment I was in. So I knew I wanted to have kids, but my husband kept saying to me, you know, you keep saying you want to have kids, but then, you know, June comes around and you say, how about December? And then December comes around and you say, how about February? And so I kept pushing it off and not making it a priority because I didn't realize there was a time frame. And not only that, it was just, I have a tendency to be very work centric and very hyper focused on something in order to accomplish goals. So I had definitely visuals in mind of what level you leave the corporate world at and what would be considered success. And since then, obviously have adjusted those false expectations and ridiculous self-imposed goals that really are are frankly meaningless, right? Because you're on your own trajectory and success is really defined by you, right? And so I essentially got to a point at Mattel where I ended up having a violent allergic reaction to stress. And I'll never forget that evening of my life because I came home from work at, I don't know, around 10-ish or so. I ended up getting hives all over. I ended up ending up in the emergency that evening, but I was still intent on making it to my presentation at seven in the morning. And a friend of mine, because my husband and I were both traveling quite a bit at that time, who I considered a workaholic, said to me, what are you talking about? You're not going to work in the morning. You are essentially going to be going to the allergist and figuring out what's wrong with you. And I said, what are you talking about? No, I got to get to work. And the net is that I, I end up going to an allergist the next day. I had to set a boundary for myself and say that my health was more important than my work, which was a big deal in those days. Nobody was putting mental health or your health or the person first as an individual it was the company it was your role and your team, right? And so the doctor that day who I did not know essentially challenged me to discuss my life, which most doctors aren't going to really talk to you about your personal life. And he did. And it was a gift. And he essentially said, you know, I'm listening to your life and five countries and six days and late nights working and early mornings presentations. I think you're going to have to drastically shift your life. And I thought, wow, that really hit me. And it was the pivotal moment in my life to choose to make a life transition. And from there, I had ideas of what I might want to do next, but I wasn't clear, but essentially had decided to resign from my position. But I had an idea in mind of what that looked like. I essentially had projected in advance three months and you had a decision that I was going to go in and talk to the president about these different ideas that I had. And at that point in time, one of the ideas was actually to do more like team building things. And there was a university at Mattel where they did moderated facilitation and workshops and as a lot of large companies do. And he basically offered me a position to develop a marketing training program because there was no 
marketing training program at Mattel at the time. However, that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do, I wanted to impact future leaders because often when you go into corporations, there isn't training, but in addition, most managers are never trained to be a manager or trained to learn skills on how to lead teams. So what a lot of corporations or companies call soft skills, those are those beautiful skills that help people be the most effective leader to lead their team effectively and hear each individual's gifts and values, frankly, right? So I did end up taking the position, but I ended up not taking it in the end. And I did take a interim step working for uh, Disney's consumer products group, doing something similar that I did did at Mattel for a different general manager. And at that time, I enlisted the support of a coach. And for a year, I worked with this person literally sometimes six hours a day. I committed to 30 hours a week working at Disney, but I was committing also to myself. And that was the first time in my life that I had actually put myself first and that I set a boundary around my work and my time in order to effectively reach the goal that I wanted, which was to transition into coaching and leadership training. So I did transition to coaching and leadership training via the academic route, working for USC's business school. And again, when we talk about transitions, the important thing to note there is that my colleague that I used to work with at Mattel, I used my network or my community to tap into them to find out who might know somebody in that particular space. Because just because somebody's in marketing or finance or operations or whatever it is that they might be, their specific role, everybody has a larger network. And I essentially asked my network, here are three things that I'm thinking about doing. I wasn't completely clear at the time. I just was truly trying to devise what my next step might look like. And I was truly networking with so many different types of people to really piece it together and educate myself, almost like a marketing research project, I would say. So from basically working at USC's business school for two years, working with all different academic constituents of of MBAs and training them to get marketing jobs and also doing recruitment, outward recruitment from companies to recruit our MBAs. I essentially worked at USC's business school for two academic school years, really seeking to get into coaching and leadership training. And I did it to test my skill set, number one. I did it to work at a credible institution, number two. And number three, I was very clear that if I ever wanted to get back into marketing, that I wanted to open doors within companies that I had never worked within or in categories that I had never worked within. So I had a constituent of female MBAs candidates that were looking to get into the beauty care industry. And so there was two areas I was looking to possibly maybe re-enter at some point. One was beauty and one was sports marketing. Both are my passion. So often when I coach people, I try to align people with what they love. Not necessarily do you always have to work within an area that you love, but it's important for you to enjoy or have an active interest in what you're doing. So I essentially took this group of men and women that were looking to get into these two different categories, and I was opening doors at L'Oreal and Estee Lauder and all the big, Procter & Gamma, all the big Max Factor beauty companies, but then also sports teams and a Nike and all the big brands like Adidas. And funny enough, now going back, that was 20 years ago, I am in the beauty industry through working on the beauty counter side, which is another one of the things that I do beyond coaching. So essentially the transition out of the corporate world and into coaching and leadership training was not a linear line. It was going into academia for two academic school years. Then I got hired by UCLA's business school to specifically coach because they were starting a coaching program for their alumni. So I was receiving a steady flow of clients from them to me. So it was an easy way for me to actually start my coaching practice. Now, back then it was more career coaching. And then from the career coaching arena, worked for right management, doing executive coaching. And 
that was when I realized, yes, executive coaching is very lucrative. And it was my dream to actually impact future leaders. And I was working with a lot of the companies that I used to work with, Disney, Mattel, Warner Brothers, so many different companies that I used to work with. It was easy for me to understand and put myself in the shoes of these executives. However, what I realized is that all of these executives had so much fear and they were so afraid to make decisions because A, they have greater risk, but B, they were afraid to disappoint people or they were afraid to lose their job. Or frankly, we were doing documentation versus truly coaching people to make greater change and transform their lives. So from the executive coaching time, during the time that I was at UCLA's business school, I started my first coaching practice, like I said earlier, called Targeted Transitions, which was a personal branding and coaching agency. And I did executive coaching. And then about, I'd say 12 years ago, I started my first women's group. It was called the Witty Group, which is an acronym for Women in Transition. And the extra I was international. So it was W-I-T-I, which is my personal Instagram is called Witty Wolf. And that was the reason why, because it was always about women in transition. And just as you just becoming a mother for the first time, it's a whole new world. And when women become mothers, they often lose themselves in their children and stop growing and choose to actually stay focused on their children more than actually on the future in their lives. And it's easy to do because it is a very difficult, taxing, time-consuming job, right? And being a mother is a job. It's one of the most beautiful, most rewarding jobs in the world, but it is yet another job and it requires energy. So also some women don't have the energy to invest in themselves because they are exporting so much if they're in a job, plus they're a mother. And then I'd say that when my mom became very ill, nine was probably now actually 11 years ago, she, she had Alzheimer's. And I really was reflecting on my mom who actually had dedicated her life to her children and who was, she was frankly, super bright, brilliant woman, could have done anything. And I used to have these conversations with her when I was younger. And I used to say, mom, like, why didn't you decide to work? And she said, because like, who would want to hire a woman with three kids? And I, it always stuck with me. And I, wow. exactly. And I said, mom, you're brilliant. You could do anything. But she had lost her confidence. She had lost who she was. Why does that happen? Why do women lose their confidence? Yeah. Like I, I have two questions for you. One, why did you start wanting to focus on women? Which I think you're in the middle of telling us, but I'm just wondering if, is it about you and your mom and kind of your own transition that you were going through? Why women? And then why is it that women lose their confidence? Yeah. And I, I and I, it's not all women, but I think it can I think happen. a lot of women do. I think even women that project themselves as confident, I think it's like actually 78% of women lack self-esteem. So wow. it's you know, a pretty high number. And that happens actually starting in around the teenage years where they start to really lose confidence in themselves. And frankly, with social media and the digital component, it's probably even higher. So how to build self-esteem within women is a very large focus for me in my practice. But why do women lose confidence is because they stop investing in themselves and they stop investing in their personal growth, whatever that might be be. A lot of times women are expected to be experts of their own vessels, whether or not the vessel is within your own home and you're using all the skills that you've had from the corporate world or from your jobs, investing them into your family, or whether that be that you've just lost touch with yourself and you are afraid to be vulnerable and share that you need help. And that is, I think, one of the biggest obstacles for women is showing weakness and being okay with the fact that we all need support in one way or the other. It's just how we choose to show up as our real self without the veil. Mm, interesting. Yeah. When my mom got really sick, I decided that I had a choice. Do I want to play small? Do I want to stay in the safe space of having one women's group and doing corporate stuff, you know, which pays very well, and also I'm doing one-on-one -on -one clients, right? Or 
If I had a dollar for every person during the time that I had my first little incubated group and tested all these things on, I always say there were all these people that were constantly like, well, can I be part of your group? Like, what is this special group that you always do? What are you guys working on? And really, I think there is this curiosity from women about how can I invest in myself? Oh, so it's not a mommy group where we're talking about our kids. I'm like, nope, actually, I don't really want to talk about our kids. And in fact, we are there to talk about ourselves. And in addition, there are women that don't have children in our group, in my original group. And I am so happy about that because it always provides perspective because inevitably for women, the safe place is to always nurture someone else, not themselves. And so how did I come to women? So part of that is wanting to see women invest in themselves. So here I am in the Mecca of Los Angeles. Really, you have so much at your fingertips, uh, not unlike New York or any other major city. And there's celebrity coaches, like so many things that people can go after. However, what I know to be true is that I build community unlike anyone else out there. And part of the reason why is, is because I really see women and men or anyone for that matter, intuitively at their greatest value. And I can read a person very well. And what I wanted women to do, which I wasn't seeing here in Los Angeles, and I now know to be true so many other places across the world, is that they don't invest in themselves. And I also saw that women were way more comfortable investing in their kids than in themselves. And so I wanted to give women an opportunity to grow in a safe, nurturing environment and to launch the ideas that they have. Like you with your podcast, if you didn't meet Yoti and she wasn't welcoming and open to your interaction, you may have been deterred from you moving forward. You may have lost your confidence and said, you know what? This woman told me that it was going to take all these things. So I don't think I could do it, but she welcomed you and she greeted you. She opened her neck. And she supported me and said, yes, I will participate. Yes. She opened. It was integral. Yes. And we, I released a blog post today, actually. We, I know, I just saw your post on social media right before we were chatting. And I said, oh, I'll go check that out after our chat. Yeah, it's funny. It actually reminded me of the very, made me go back to my very first blog post because I was like, oh, I wrote a blog post on community before. And and this is not like a true blog post because this really is more about my podcast and such. However, my first blog post was women need each other. And we do. And I will challenge any woman out there. I have a huge network. But many people will always say, oh, I have enough friends. I don't need more friends. It's not about the friends. Like you don't know the gift that's going to come forward to you with one interaction, with one thought. And I truly believe that if we don't stop to help one another, what are we? As women, and I know for me, for sure, I was brought here as a calling to serve. Like for me, this is not about the money. This is about truly seeing women reach their highest value. So that's really why women. What a beautiful answer. I love it. I like knowing because it's something that I do too. I mean, I've done, I think, 25 episodes and I've had one man. (laughs) You know, women for me is a huge, huge focus as well and a huge driver for me to support women. So I wanted to know why that was for you because I think it is a value. It is a value of mine. And I, I love hearing why it's a value to other people. I mean, I do think it's so important that we stop to hear one another. It's that old age saying of like, you know, now everybody's talking about mental health. When somebody says, how are you? And you give a different answer than I'm good or I'm fine or whatever. Mm-hmm. We really want to hear the answer. Do people really stop to hear you and feel your emotion? Very few. That's right. And it's important that so many people are struggling with things beyond the surface that we need to be present for one another. Our lives are built into like eight different categorical areas. So, you know, when we look specifically just in one area, there's enough that we can pull out just in that to help one another. Uh In coaching, we use something called the wheel of life that essentially will walk you through the eight different categorical areas so that you can be the best version of yourself. Interesting. Do you use Myers-Briggs as well? Or do you focus more on values? I am certified in Myers-Briggs and I'm certified in the Enneagram. So certainly they come up, but I don't like labels. 
And mm. I don't like it when somebody pigeonholes somebody into the, what their acronym might be. I have a colleague of mine and he's constantly talking in acronyms from Myers-Briggs and I'm like, yeah, enough, but what about the person? <laughs> you know, I, yes, there's so much we could learn from the Myers-Briggs and Enneagram. And I actually prefer the Enneagram, but I prefer working within someone's value set because I think that's where we make choice from. Mm. And and that's what guides our choices. And you can very clearly hear from someone when you're stepping on a value of theirs. Mm -hmm. uh, but as a coach, that's what you're trained to do is listen on a deeper level with active listening to really hear what might be going on for someone. How do you start with someone who is trying to figure out what they want to do next? Well, the first thing when you coach someone, we have usually like a 30 minute call before you would actually engage with me. But secondly, once we decide that we're going to move forward, I don't commit to anything less than six months in the process with any one individual of a coaching client. And that's because change doesn't happen overnight in order to commit to the transformation. It's a minimum of six months. And that's like, if we look at habits and how habits are formed, we know one single habit can take anywhere between. 14 days and 264 days. So that obviously makes perfect sense. So we start actually with assessments, their discovery assessments. And the first session is a two hour session called the discovery session that can be broken up into two one hour sessions. And essentially from those assessments, dependent on what you claim to be your goal in the beginning, which is not normally always the case in the end, we flow through a coaching process that is, I have a program that when I was running my women's groups was a nine month program that was taking women from their purpose to the path. Meaning we define your purpose and then we get you on the path. Some of those things could be communications workshops, values alignment, anywhere between we write their purpose statement, their positioning statement. We actually practice delivering those things. We could write marketing plans. So many different things, identifying your network. How do you brand yourself? How do you want to show up in the world? There's so many different things that show up in coaching sessions. Why I don't like to say, you know, when we were in, when we were running the women's groups consistently, there was this nine month program. However, when you're coaching an individual, it's whatever showing up in the room. And some days it's not about your program. It's about the person needs to be held in a safe space to let them process and feel the emotion and go through the emotion. I'd say the biggest difference between me and a lot of coaches out there is that I combine the wellness and business component. So I'm certified in Reiki, I'm certified in meditation, I'm certified in yoga. And those are all things I use every day in my own life that help provide me structure. And I bring those into the circle of coaching as well. So for example, I had a client that came in, we were focusing on structure in general, but she had so much anxiety, honestly, around a lot of different things that were happening happening for her in her life, we chose to kind of pull back on that and really take time around the fact that I sent her to actually this program through Joe Dispenza. You know, she can basically do some of these deeper meditations that will help get her in a, a better space so that she could refocus her energy back on her business. How are you seeing people affected by the pandemic? Well, I mean, I think you might agree that it's been really difficult. I mean, so many people are, first of all, a lot of people either lost their job or don't want to work or are lacking motivation or are feeling stuck. There's so many different things that are happening. And then on the flip side, there's a lot of women that have chose to leave their companies and start a new business and really take the risk. So those are beautiful things that are coming forward. Or some of the clients that I work with have a full-time job and are launching a business at the same time because they can't afford to actually leave their job because they're one of the providers of the family. Yeah. So to be honest with you, I wouldn't say that I see any one thing. I think there's definitely burnout and exhaustion. And I can speak to that for my very self. I mean, you know, my kids, I have three children, three girls that were working from my home for over a year. And I also was working from home. I'm working in my dining room versus my office. I'm blessed enough to have an office, but my husband's in my office and we don't know when he's going back to work. <laughs> and so thank God people are returning to work, 
However, that is also wrought with a lot of anxiety. People have been working from home for so many months. They're used to the flexibility. And if people are productive, which there is this whole debate right now that people believe they're being productive or they're allowed to do like another job at the same time as they have their their full-time job that is affording them this flexibility, right? And I mean, we can't deny that there is this great resignation that is happening. And thank God that people are starting to shift and align with their values and set boundaries on their lives. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's so complex. I feel like right now I'm falling into the overwhelmed camp of, and I know, I mean, February in Montreal is, is one of the hardest months to get through to to find motivation and whatnot because you're inside and the weather is awful and you know yeah so I know that that's going on but how do you coach people to get through overwhelm what are the steps to take to get out of overwhelm and into some kind of sense of control I think one of the most important things to be honest with you is setting a daily structure that's going to make you feel that you are being productive and active and moving toward a goal. Mm -hmm. And the goal doesn't have to be big, small steps to big gains. And honestly, incorporating things that will de-stress you and diffuse the anxiety into a daily ritual or practice Mm-hmm. Um, are extremely helpful, whether that be setting an intention every day or a word of the day that leads to a word of the month that leads to a word of the year and how you incorporate that daily into your life and you commit to being consistent toward those things to allow yourself to move forward. Let's use meditation as one of the tools. Many people are not inherent natural meditators. It's not something that in a doer society that we were encouraged to do, right? So we are unconditioning and reconditioning ourselves uh, towards some of these tools that it's, you don't become an expert meditator overnight. It happens through time, through three deep breaths is a 16 second meditation that reshifts your brain and energizes you to moving to one minute, to two minutes, And finding the things that work for you, because just because I sit in silence and meditation every Friday for this Japanese tea ceremony doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And it doesn't mean that it worked for me when I first started doing it. It took time for me to have that aha moment of, wow, the depth that I seek into when I sit in community and tea for an hour in silence and then share afterwards is a gift that cannot be repeated placed weekly for me. That doesn't mean that I don't also incorporate other types of meditations every day throughout the week. So again, if you don't have a structure, it's difficult to be successful at anything. And how would you suggest a person get started in figuring out what they want to do next when their motivation is low, when they feel overwhelmed, when there's so much uncertainty? My sense is that in the U.S., maybe things are a little bit clearer, but maybe they aren't. Well, I think it depends on where you live in the U.S. I mean, we live in California, so it hasn't exactly been easy. I was speaking with somebody from Texas over the weekend and it doesn't seem like there's really been a pandemic there for months. So how do you get started? The first thing is, is enlisting the support of either a coach, joining a community so that you can feel empowered and that you have the support that you need to feel that you're being held accountable and held in a space that things are achievable especially when you're lacking motivation and especially when you're stuck. So that's the first thing that I would say. And that, frankly, it doesn't have to be a coach, doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a friend that you band together and you decide that you're going to go through this personal growth journey together. Mm. But you have certain milestones that you're trying to touch on that are going to help you be more successful. There's so many resources out there. And for me at Empower Purpose, we just reopened our membership. And so if you can't afford one-on-one coaching, I understand coaching is a luxury. The membership is $195 a year. You get free coaching and every month you get two free calls. Plus 
the podcast. You know, so to me, if people truly want to take advantage of, there's so many tools out there. I frankly think it's more about what is the right tool for you Mm -hmm. and not getting overwhelmed. Because even me as a practitioner, when I look at Instagram feeds or when I look at what's online, it's overwhelming to me. And I go by trusted resources, people that have testimonials, people that have been written up, people that are valued and that you see that they're really giving back, that it's not just, oh, here, take a course for 250 bucks or or whatever it is. And the person's not present for you. So you can truly see if you listen beneath the surface, those people that are just, it's, there's a lot of charlatans out there. You know, um, is that a digital membership or do you only offer that to people who live in LA? So it's a digital membership, but however, we offer discounts to all the workshops that are in person. And then also once a year, there's a in-person event as well. That is sort of like our, I'd say the end of the year party, so to speak, we called it gather last year. I think I would call it gather again this year Mm -hmm. as a branding tool. Yes, it's digital and in person. So you have the opportunity to do both. Like for example, I'm hosting a retreat in April. So that's something that the community can also participate in as well. That again is in Los Angeles. However, I want the digital platform and footprint to be truly interactive. Like, you know, you're only as good as your leader, right? And so, and I do see this now reopening it where people are shy online. They don't want to speak up. They're not using the resources to the level that they could necessarily, but you have to, it goes back to that vulnerability component. We have to show up for ourselves in order to receive. I also plan on showing up live on the calls, not only just the calls, but also on the Facebook group so that that way people get to know me even better. I mean, as you know, because you follow me on Instagram, I I think people get a pretty good idea of me because, you know, you're pretty open. Yeah, I do a lot of videos. And my whole thing is really, I show up authentically as me to show you that things don't have to look perfect in order to get started. And in addition, it's real life. I am a mother. I am just like everybody else out there trying to be an entrepreneur at the same time and run a business at the same time as raise my three kids and my household. And life is not perfect. Life is not linear. It's about how we choose to show up in this world and and be a better version of ourselves. How, okay, two questions are coming to my mind. (laughs) Can you give an example of someone that you worked with that you're really proud of? And how Mm -hmm. did you help them in the course of six to 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I think I could give you several examples, but I'll start with one that was sort of a rebuild, I would say, a rebuild and a realignment of a person. And this woman had a very heavy job and in the entertainment industry and a high integrity, high self-worth. And frankly, um, some women may be intimidated by her. Her outward persona was uh, very polished. And in addition, she was multicultural. And so it was delicate on a lot of levels. But what I would say is in the beginning, it was hard for her her to identify once leaving this position, who she really was and how she wanted to see herself in the world and what she wanted to do. Many women know that they want to transition, but they're not clear. So one of the things I know I'm really acutely good at is the discovery process, because frankly, the average person has eight careers in their life, average person. And that doesn't mean it's in different industries. It could be in the same industry or same category, but eight different transitions. So, and I think now it's like 11, but the reality is that she was trying to figure out where she wanted to go next. And then through the process of working together, she identified that she wanted to work on boards. And initially She was looking at working on nonprofit boards and I had shared with her that it was important for her to value herself and that with the level of expertise that she had, that perhaps that she should consider corporate boards because she would then get paid for it. And through the process of working with one another through the months, I'm proud to say that she's basically on two corporate boards. One is Pinterest and the other is Gap. So 
wow. essentially, yeah, I mean, it's a huge transformation for her. And when we first started, when we go through the identification process for someone, I often put up many different images if I'm lucky enough to work with them in person. And even now on Zoom, I'll put up different images for people on the Zoom call. I'll put up different images and I ask them to identify with who they see themselves as. And in that time frame, she had said, well, I know I used to be her. I see myself wanting to be her, but I'm a little bit in between there, but I don't know how to get there. And honestly, it was interesting. She came to my visioning workshop a couple of like a month ago or something like that. And I have to say, I feel very grateful for my interaction with her and our coaching sessions because I know how impactful it was for her because she's consistently sharing with people about the transformation that she had. And even in so far as speaking of like the outfit that we were talking about, she was talking about this experience with another woman at the workshop. And she's like, she really helped me identify how I wanted to show up in the world again and what I wanted to do and really value myself really allow me to see my worth outside of a company. So that is one example. There's many examples of lots of people, like, I mean, from people that, you know, have smaller ideas and, you know, whether that be relationship advice or communications efforts or, you know, learning social media or, you know, there's so many different things that show up in a coaching session. It's not one thing. My intention whenever I coach someone is always to show up 150% for that person, for their transformation. How did you change when you became a mom? I just want to go back to that because I find the whole thing so fascinating Mm -hmm. because you touched on something, which is an identity change that can happen as well. And I'm wondering how you would paraphrase going from being an individual to being a mom and why it can be such a big change. And I want to bring worth into that as well, because it's an unpaid job. Yeah, exactly. So I think that the thing about when I became a mother, I was actually just talking about this last week, somebody was asking me what was happening for you when you had your third child. And of course, I have perspective now because she's 10. And I said, you know what, thank you for asking that question. Because I'm going to tell you, I was really overwhelmed. But I didn't show that. The way I showed up was, I can handle a third baby. Just roll the baby in. You know, (laughs) more person. But it was exponentially more. It was very difficult because women go through hormonal shifts and body image changes and aging and what is my worth and what is my brain capacity because I'm foggy because of my hormones. And there's so many different things that happen for women when they become mothers that is not discussed, including as now I'm 53 and I'm in menopause, you go through that next shift after dying to have children and building your family and then your kids get older and then what's your identity then, right? So that goes back to that book, Passages. Mm. But so for me, going back to values and why they're so important, the one thing that will never change within yourself, no matter how many kids you have, is realigning with your value set. And the reason why is, is because if you stop and think about, and these aren't family values. These are your personal values Mm -hmm. intrinsically within yourself. You can identify your family values too, and individual values within. I have actually a a game that I play with um, my clients that I devise. But Mm -hmm. so if you truly align with them, you can always come back home. So like the Empower Purpose or what was called Empower LA, um, but I had to change the name for trademark purposes. If you truly align with your values and my logo is this compass so that you can always come back home. It's like finding yourself again, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing is about becoming a mother is it's very easy to get conflicting views and conflicting ideas of what you're supposed to be doing. I don't like supposed tos and could haves and should haves. And I'm going to be very clear that like, I just like many women lost myself in the schools and the volunteering and the giving of money and the wanting to be part of certain crowds 
and all that stuff. And it served me and it was beautiful. But to what degree do you need to do that? Is that not unlike what we did in the corporate world? Mm. We gave so much of ourselves and we gave it away and setting a boundary on your time and your worth. You know, the more you give to yourself, we know that if you give yourself self-care, that that will lead to self-love, that that will lead to self-confidence. And what do we as women want to give to our children? We want to make them be the most well-adjusted, amazing, upstandard citizens, right? All the schools and all that stuff is separate. But really, what is your goal for your children? I mean, I don't know. That's my goal. I would just say that it's important for you to constantly say to yourself, who am I and what do I want? And don't lose sight of those two questions. Because if you give up your time, if you give up yourself, there's always going to be somebody willing to take it. Yeah, I find it really interesting because, you know, you say you're someone that wants to serve And Mm -hmm. so sometimes that desire to be a person of service, someone who gives back can end up, you start giving too much or giving too much away. And I'm wondering, how do you draw that boundary? Well, I think number one, it's super important to be clear on your boundaries. And, you know, I'm a very much a yes person, but know when it's time to say no. Yeah. And no, again, going back to your value set, right? And so at the beginning of every year, I get very clear on what I want to create. In doing so, it doesn't mean that things don't change or that I don't have to readjust expectations or readjust timing. But what I will say is that in getting clear on what I want to create for the year, it allows me to go back and then I create a vision based on that. So it's like, basically, I create a vision for the year. And then I, from the vision, I create my journal. So everybody always constantly talks about the vision board or the vision journal. For me, it's about the visioning process and getting clear on that. You know, it's like, you can say to me, my goal is to have 50 more episodes released this year. And specifically, so I like to use smart goals, which are specific. So it's like, of those 50, I want 10 women to be in wellness, I want 10 women to be in beauty and 10 women to be in sports, whatever it is that you're planning on doing. And so then you know exactly how you're actually going to go about it. But then you talk about the timing. Well, when do I want to actually release it by? Is it measurable? Is it achievable? And so I would say that I'm very protective of my time. So I have a very busy schedule and, you know, I have three children. I know exactly going back to structure. I know exactly how my week will be structured. What days I'm going to see my coaching clients and what times, what time I have to like cut out because I have to transition to mommy time and what time I transition back in because I have to transition back into doing my work, right? Mm -hmm. What days I'm recording podcasts, what days I'll do workshops and what days I have my work time that is coveted time with me. And I don't have a big team, but like one person that works with me so that we can get our work done. Cause if not, people will take your time. And so that's okay. I feel honored that I have that, but we need to covet our time and we need time to create or else we wouldn't have amazing content, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. I haven't done my initials with the Myers-Briggs, but I know mm-hmm. that I'm someone that is driven by intuition. Mm-hmm. And I'm also someone that because I like so many things and because I need variety to stay stimulated, it makes me wonder if sometimes I'm not going deep enough. And so I'm wondering what advice you have to kind of do deeper analysis of what we want to do. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, there's so many modalities out there. I highly recommend hiring a coach, to be honest with you, because they're going to help bring those modalities in if there's somebody that's done a lot of these things, right? But in addition, I speak from experience from the standpoint that it transformed my life. And in those early stages that I described in the beginning, I mean, I was the busiest consultant and networker or community builder at that time, but I was lost. And I literally was like, I said to my father-in-law, I'm so busy, but he asked, how, how's it all going? You know, And I said, it's going well, but I feel really overwhelmed. I don't know where to turn. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm getting all these job offers, but I'm not sure that's what I want to do. And he recommended that I work with a coach. And that this is before coaching was cool. I mean, it was like 20 years ago, you mm. know, and he 
recommended it was the biggest gift. I worked with her for one year. There were times where I was on the phone with her sometimes for six hours. She would give me amazing. It was honestly so transformative. It was like getting my master's in something because she would give me recommended reading and we would review what we read in the book. And it was an investment that I will never get back and that I will never regret because it was invaluable. Yeah. I feel the same way about therapy. I mean, yeah. It's, it's expensive, but it's the most important thing to do for yourself. Yeah. The thing about therapy is often is that we sit in the diagnosis, but we don't, it depends on the therapist. A lot of therapists are moving more into positive psychology and are also more creating action oriented steps to help you move forward. But it's important that we get into action. And that we start to hundred oh, percent. I think there's a place for therapy and there's totally. a place for coaching. I'm I just saying, exactly. I think financial investment in ourself yes. is never, ever wasted to your point about having this amazing life coach. I, yeah. I, and maybe you know. what you're really pointing at is that maybe for you, you, it could be something that would be a great investment or for example, like through pen, like you pen, they have like a positive psychology certification, or there's different things that you can do to really, or you can go to the Esalen center, which is, and I know they probably have them somewhere in Montreal too, but like here in Northern California, there's like this really amazing spiritual growth center called the Esalen center. And it, they have amazing classes, like anywhere from like that tea ceremony that I was talking to you about that I do to personal growth workshops. And you can go to the depths of your being there. I want to do all of it. Me too. <laughs> I want to do all of it. I love her. I just want to recap how to find our way through the overwhelm. We're all feeling it for different reasons. So this isn't a cure-all, but what I took away was number one, take the time to relax and do things like meditation or whatever relaxes you. For me personally, it's walking and going to bed when I'm tired and lots of deep breaths. So do what works for you, but do prioritize it. Number two is to create a schedule for ourselves, which I know is really hard. I find it really hard, but I am finding that as I start doing that, it is helping me feel more in control. Number three is ask a friend, a coach, a therapist, or someone that you trust for help. I know asking for help can be the hardest thing to do. It can be intimidating, it can be scary, but I have found that as I do it, I get more used to it and better at it and Sometimes it just helps to have a friend to listen to what's going on and commiserate and put a plan together. I've been lucky enough to have some friends to help me with that. I've worked a bit with a coach and that helps me clarify my own thoughts. And it does feel like I'm moving forward. Join a community. Michelle wrote a really great post, which is called your network is your net worth. So as she said, it's not just about getting new girlfriends. It really is about You never know what someone will bring to the table, what gift they'll bring you. So go for it. If you've heard of a community that you're curious about, try it out. If I had to choose one takeaway from this episode, apart from those four important steps that sound so easy, but can be really hard, I'd say the biggest takeaway is to make yourself your biggest value, to invest in myself, be careful before I give all of my time and energy away, and take the time, energy, and focus to realign with my own values so that I can find my way back home to myself. I really like the way she said that. You can find Michelle's community at empowherpurpose.com and you can find her on social media at empowerla and at wittywolf, W-I-T-I-W-O-L-F. I highly recommend checking out her TikTok and Instagram. She's adorable and very funny. If you enjoyed our chat, please share this episode with your friends and on social media or send me a note. I love when you do that. Thanks for listening and talk soon. Thank you.